All right, today in the series, The Marriage Habit, we're gonna talk about cleaving and leaving from your parents, from mother and father. And it comes from Genesis 2, 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become, they become one flesh. And these are two sides of the same coin, becoming one flesh and leaving behind your parents. The problem is a lot of premarital or even marital just kind of focus on one flesh. Oh, do you have oneness? Do you have unity? And that is important. I think that's a very strong foundation that is missing and overlooked. But, but I will also say that um, not looking at entanglements with parents is a big mistake. So, for example, I've experienced at times where um, sort of doing my own thing and suddenly my wife is scolding me over something. And I'm like, what, 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 what happened? Or it's scolding in anticipation of something that her mother will scold her for because I did it. But in either case, for the while until I could figure out and trace it, I didn't even know the source. I would get some angry admonishment out of the blue and not know what to do with it. And it turns out it's something around her mother. And that's a very hard entanglement to even point out because it's so close. I'll say, well, wait a minute. It seems like you've done something based on what your mother has said and you're bringing it to me, but you're not telling me it's the source. You're just scolding me because she scolded you or you anticipate she's scolding you. And then because it's her mother, it's very hard for her to say, well, yeah, you're right. I guess I shouldn't. It's like, well, maybe, well, maybe, or no. But if you see this pattern, it's actually sort of having like a ghost enemy behind. So for many years, I would just get these blows. Hey, you're not doing this. Why haven't we done this? And I, I don't know where it's coming from. There are things that we haven't talked about to warrant the escalation. It was just, why haven't we talked about it? Why aren't you doing this? And I started to observe after many years, just like, where is this coming from? And it would be, oh, there's a conversation that happened. I'm not a part of it. And the mother had said, okay, well, why have you done this and this and this and this? She's angry and she comes and says, why haven't we done this, this and this and this? And so I've taken this and it's created sort of havoc, financial havoc, um, following these things. It even becomes to a point where the mother, uh, or in this case, the grandmother to my child, child comes and says, oh yeah, the, the grandmother's called a selfish. And that seemed like a very strong word to say that conversation ended up taking place, it ended up being very contentious, and then it comes back to me, and then it becomes I'm at fault for saying, hey, I don't think we should allow this to happen. So now we're dealing about, and you might have different flavors of that when the parent is live. So you might be the one who's taking things that are disappointments or frustrations from your parent and then laying them on the other person, or you might be the recipient. Your spouse has parents, um, and it could be mother, it could be a father, laying things down, and the person comes and then transfers that over to you. That transference is really dangerous because the person has now transferred, in this case my wife, her frustration towards her mother towards me. 
There's certain things that she can express to her mother that she can't because of the parental relationship that she's feared to do with me. But that's transferred also the blame and the resentment onto me. So it's very dangerous when that happens. And that's when there hasn't been a separation. There's no separation in this case from the mother. Now, some people think it means, oh, you got to leave. You never talk to them. You're totally separated. I'm not saying that's always the case either. There might be some cases where it is worth saying, wow, it's so bad. We have to stop that communication. It's so toxic. We cannot communicate with the parent anymore. And that's certainly a difficult thing to do, but it's got to be done in light of the marriage. Right now, when we continue this way without addressing it, it's the parental relationship has taken precedence over the marriage. And so I've tried to present an alternative to this. But before I get to that, I also want to talk about how it's not just if they're alive. It's certainly worse. It's exacerbated. It's so horrible. Um, we live really close, like basically in the same building. So it's suddenly augmented way more than when we first got married, when we were living further apart. But it can also be what you're carrying. So if you carry a model of what a marriage looks like from your own parents and you're bringing that in and you haven't highlighted it, you have not separated. If you're bringing in parental behaviors or ways that you want to treat your husband or wife based on how you saw mom and dad do it, you have not cleaved. You've not gone back and said, there are things that I want to separate from mother and father. That's also important. A lot of things could be bad habits. It could be mistreatment and hurts. Carrying those things into the marriage is certainly not going to make a one flesh. It's going to form this division. Right? If there's an expectation, for example, of how husband should treat the wife, and that's brought in and not spoken of, which goes back to my lesson on silent expectations or unspoken expectations, that, that's not oneness. That, that's not even maybe something you believe in. You might have just inherited that as opposed to cleaving and saying, no, I'm not going to do that. Now, let's use an example with, with this case. Is it possible to still honor mother and father, cleave it, and honor the husband? So here's a way. One of it is just the language. I've proposed this, and whether it be implemented, we're, we're still waiting to hear. So to the mother, when someone's hearing, in this case, my wife is hearing these things, oh, why aren't you doing these things? You need to do this thing. Can we, I hear what you're saying, right? It's okay to say, I hear what you're saying. But here's the crucial language, and you can put it in ways that help you better. But before I can do that, before I do what you say, I would like to review it with my husband, right? That is setting the order. None of that is happening, right? That's, that should be a shield. That should be, you should be caught. So I hear what you're saying. It may be annoying. You may agree with it, but I need to do this. Then you add coloring. It seems different from what he wants, right? That, that has to be presented. It seems different from what he wants. That's being an advocate on behalf of your husband. Too many women, wives, say, well, he sucks because it's not abiding with what the mother is saying. Here it's saying, I am 
making him first order as opposed to fifth or sixth. If you want to change your mind, you can discuss it with him. Okay, so now it's making it he is going to be a decision maker. This is not what's been happening so far, but I propose this language and I could see this was a hard concept just to acknowledge because the world really doesn't really want to have that level of saying, hey, my husband has a role in making this decision. And if it's in a marriage where you're, uh, you've grown up in a family system where that's not even supported, as in this case, it won't be. It will be a conflict. Conversely, instead of coming and saying, why haven't we done this? We should be doing this. My wife should say to me, I am feeling angry and frustrated. Why? My mother wants things done a certain way that we're not doing. I hear her and that we're not satisfying the demand she has. I happen to still agree with you, husband, but she's taking it out on me. I am caught in a hard space. That doesn't need to be done in a shameful way. Just the words itself. It's, well, some people will still find a way to make it in a chastising way, but you see the words have some space. It's describing the frustration of it. But you won't have the frustration if you don't first and foremost believe it is a hard place because she wants to be one with me. If that's not part of it, then it's just transference. It's condemning because she's feeling condemnation. You might have this too. So it goes both ways. You, if you're feeling the pressure from a parent, have to ask yourself, wait a minute, hold on a second. I've got to hold two things. This is a hard place. That means owning two sides of the communication. One back to the parent. It's fine, and I think it's okay, and it's expected to say, I hear what you're saying. I'm hearing what you say. Okay, that some of that meets makes some sense to me. And then to say the truth. But my spouse and I need to agree. Now, suppose you're the husband and they're saying, but you're supposed to make the decision. And then you say, no, we, we make decisions together. If you can't advocate for your marriage, then you'll be in my situation. If you can't be in a situation where you can advocate on behalf of your marriage to a parent, you have let the other person down and you let the marriage down. Remember, the marriage is now a separate concept. The marriage itself is an entity. It's a one flesh entity. It's a brand new entity in addition to you and the needs of your spouse. So the first part is communicating that and communicating and saying to the parent, I hear what you're saying, the degree to which you agree or disagree. Now, if you totally disagree, you actually do owe it to yourself and to the marriage to say, you know, but I disagree with you. If you're kind of on the fence Hey, you know, I, I'm not sure I have to hear both my, what my spouse says. If you totally agree, and you totally disagree with the husband, then here you've got to be careful. You cannot say, yeah, I totally agree with you, mom or dad, but it's entirely my husband who's doing this. And I, I right, that's, that's not one. It's, I see what you're saying. In large part, I agree with you, but the decision has to be made with both of us. I would like him to change. I will go and have the conversation. Or 
if you really feel you can't do it, say, I would like to put us, bring us together and have this conversation. Now, if you have language issues or distance, then that might be difficult, but not saying it's easy, but throwing the husband under the bus by saying, turning around, taking that frustration and transferring and say, okay, I'm feeling this pressure. I just got scolded. Now I'm going to scold you is the opposite of oneness. It's saying that's your problem. And I think once we introduce it, we'll see other things I've experienced where the spouse says, no, that's your problem to the spouse. It, it, it creates massive division. However, when you say, if you're the one receiving things from the parent, hey, I hear you, I need to confer. Now, let's say you're the one that's being controlled or being shamed because of what the spouse is doing and that entanglement with their parent. So this is very hard because they are coming at you with full force. But you can use some of this language. So A, they can listen to this. Uh, but they can also have, you can have some of this language. Wow, I'm surprised I don't know where this is coming from. I don't recall us having a deep conversation about this. Why are you coming at me? Like, I, I probably could have done I just kind of like was just surprised. I was like, what, what, what? But I think getting a space say, wow, well, I don't know where that's coming from. I don't want to discuss it right now. It seems like you are in a particular state. I like to come back and discuss this, but this is not what we discussed. Or if someone is driving at something, which I wish I had understood this, could be, I'd like to know where this is coming from. Boy, this seems super important right now. Why? Here's the challenge. I, I have done things like that before. But the spouse, my wife, for example, didn't acknowledge the connection with the mother. I had to observe it since we now live in the same building. I could sort of see, okay, wow, that conversation happened, now this happened, that conversation. And, and that's the entanglement. There is really actually very little that you, the spouse who's not entangled, can do about the disentanglement. As with most things... The best time to find these kinds of entanglements are before you get married. And to ask, well, how would we make this decision? How close is that when they do it? How angry do they, they make you? What's the frequency in which you talk with them? These conversations aren't going to be a one and done deal. It's going to be multiple times. It's going to be asking. I actually did ask those questions. And I, I, I didn't get, it was sort of a surfacey. Yeah, everything is fine. Oh, it's going to be good. It's fine. Oh, my mom's very supportive of me. But I realize now that's that didn't that isn't the truth. And it's it is a little bit hard. And so that's why I feel going through things together. It's going to be very hard for you if you're on a premarital side to surface on your own the sin. You can observe it. You can start to think, hmm, I wonder if that's a healthy modeling. I wonder if there's a certain level of entanglement. The tricky part that I found about entanglement is in the beginning I observed, I said, oh, that's a good relationship. They have a good relationship. They're talking with each other. Um, and I didn't drill down into what's the nature of that. Is there frustration behind that? Is there control behind that? Now, once you're in the marriage, obviously, and you failed to make that distinction, didn't really drill into it, surprise and looking at it, here are some things that I think are worth um, considering. 
One, if you're the not entangled partner and you're the recipient as, as I am, some of it is really finding the right time to surface it. Not by assigning blame, but focusing on the behavior. Boy, it seemed that that was really kind of an unnecessary tone to use. Oh, why, why did you focus on that when I don't think we've talked about it? it? It is one of perhaps the hardest things to do. And the only thing that I can say is, can you have some compassion for it? Wow, that's a tough space. And it's their parent. And think, boy, that's tough for them. It, it, it can get you to a certain part. And I think this is where scripture and hopefully you guys are equally yoked so that there's compassion that goes both ways. Meaning, if your wife chastises you and shames you, there should be a part of the compassion to come back and say, wow, what did I do? That isn't the case in my case, for example. Um, so a lot of times it's just nurturing oneself in the face of it to not let it bother you. And then when there's better times, start to think through, boy, we, I want to kind of understand the whole service area of how do we parent, how do we school, how do we do finances, and then ask, so when we do this, do your parents have a thought? Are they going to say something and to try to get ahead of it? it? It really is limiting. If you are the entangled partner, please, this is an unfair burden. I realize it's hard because you feel like, oh, but I got to do it with my parents. They're my parents. But this is an extremely unfair burden on your spouse. And the question has to be, do you cleave, leave from your parents to be one flesh or not? It is binary. It is either you are one flesh or you choose not to cleave from your parents. Ultimately, that choice is yours. And beware that a choice is, no, but I can't. I got to listen to my mom. She's got to. You are effectively saying, and this is heartbreaking, no, I am not one flesh with my husband. So we're in that stage now. My wife does not want to cleave. It's very difficult. So that's where we see, oh, it's not one flesh. We're not operating that way. And until we can surface those things and agree with it, there's this gap. And, you know, I think there are some tools that I'm discovering for myself as a Christian, as a Christian man, as a husband to deal with it. It's not in scope for the habits. Habits are you do together and you've got to have that space. And if you are the entangled one, it is not up to your spouse to point out this entanglement. You know when you're entangled and I'm praying there's some conviction around that when you spend time. If you're wondering about that and you're like, oh, that doesn't relate to me, notice how if we have this, this is why I think it's a good habit, every 40 days you re-encounter something, then it's not one or you or the other person trying to bring something up. It's just, hey, we're listening to this podcast. We've agreed every 40 days we're going to cycle through the 40 of them. We're going to go through these devotions together. You've now relieved the name blame, uh, the naming, the blaming the finger pointing, because I do ask each person to spend time. Does it guarantee that the person will be convicted? No, it doesn't. 
but it makes it a lot easier than if you're just doing it on your own. You're making these observations yourself. So if you're new to this podcast, subscribe to the podcast. You can get all 40 days. Get your spouse to go through it. I have links to the actual devotionals, and you can find out more tools that can make it easier to build this habit. TheMarriageHabits.com